worst attitude you can have as a Christian is to think too highly of yourself. You know, in other words, you're saying, I don't need to grow. I don't need to mature anymore. Many of you might remember the David Letterman show. I'm asleep long before that comes on, those late night shows now. But I watched one night many years ago, and Barry Bonds was on. A uh, really good baseball player, but kept out of the Hall of Fame because of his steroid use. But um, David Letterman asked him, you know, what has your father, Bobby Bonds, taught you? And Bobby Bonds was a good baseball player. He was a uh, hitting coach. And the answer that he gave Letterman through him, through Letterman, he said, I don't have anything else to learn. In other words, I have no room for improvement. I am the best. And maybe Bobby should have... Talk to him about steroids and humility. Philippians 3, 12 through 15. This is the Apostle Paul, who was a well-known, well-respected Pharisee before he became a Christian. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the upward prize, for the upward call, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. Paul wanted these believers to press on. While they had much going for them, he wanted them to excel still more. Chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, excel still more. Number one, point number one. In your walk with Christ, excel still more. Verses 1 and 2. Finally, then, brethren... We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. We request a gentle suggestion. Exhort. We want to help you continue to grow. They were demonstrating Christian love. They were sharing their faith. They were doing a lot of the right things. But they, like everyone, had room for spiritual growth. It says, I exhort you in the Lord Jesus, because of your union with Christ. This carries authority because they understood that Christ is the head of the church. Paul's not using his own authority but that of the Lord as how you ought to walk and please God, how you should behave. This is the exhortation. You ought. Day in the Greek, D-E-I, usually um, translated must. And stresses that this is a moral obligation because they are in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that doesn't do it, if that doesn't motivate you, what will? Religion demands that you do certain things. 
to please God. We earn his favor with our good works and our behavior, they would say. A relationship with Christ means you love God. You love God and it's Christ's righteousness that secures God's favor for those who have faith in him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We become righteous in God's eyes, not because we're religious, but because we have faith in the one who was punished for our sins. And then our sins are credited to Christ's account. Kenneth Copeland, the prosperity gospel teacher, said Christ was made a sinner. No, it's not what the Bible teaches. He was punished for our sins. Then when we have faith in him, his righteousness covers our sin. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God is not interested in meaningless sacrifice. He wants a genuine faith, and from a genuine faith comes good works. To walk and please God, it says. These are not two separate activities. Walking with Christ results in pleasing God. It's what they say in, in the Greek, exegetical. Explaining the logical sequence of the walk. To please God is the true aim and end of the Christian walk. That is our way of life. And we don't walk with Christ with the goal of getting something. Our first goal is to please God and all these things shall be added unto you when you seek him. Really seek him. James 4, 1-3. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that you wage war, that wage war with your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. So you may spend it on your pleasures. We're unhappy, we said a couple weeks ago in the sermon on depression, because we focus too much on ourselves. We want to please God. We want to please ourselves, and, and we do things that we think will do that, things that the world says we need. And what we need is God, pure and simple. James 4, 6 through 10. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. You're so close to God when you're like that, that Satan can't come close to you. God will take care of you. Seek him to please him. 
Walk with Christ and you will please him. He talks about in the flesh, talking about the unregenerate, those who don't know Christ. The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God because that person loves the world and they love themselves. Self wants to walk to the beat of a different drummer. Did you ever walk to the beat of a different drummer? And not to the beat of the Word of God? Romans 12.2 says, You please God by not conforming to the world, but by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Colossians chapter 1, 9 and 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you and, and to ask that you may be filled with his knowledge, with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, that wouldn't be a bad prayer to pray every day. If you do that, then you can discern between good and evil. You will say no to temptation. You'll rejoice in trials. You'll know how to counsel and teach. The things, these things please God. This shows you walk with Christ. When you know the word, when you're convicted by it and you live by it. You're, see, you're seeking to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You worship God above all else, more than work, more than your relationships, more than recreation. In many respects, they were doing all these things, but there's still room to excel still more. You can excel still more as a husband, as a wife, as a child, you know, showing respect to your parents. In your thought life, excel still more. Keep abounding more. If you've been serving Christ for years in some ministry and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired. I need to take a break. Take a break. And then see where else you can serve. There is no requirement or there's no retirement from Christian service. Unless it's your health, unless you've been disqualified by your sin, you might say, well, Pastor Bill, you're retired. Not from Christian service. Not until I die or I have a health issue. Verse 2. For you know that what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus... What they're teaching is stamped with the authority of Christ. So how can you sit on your past accomplishments and say, you know, I've arrived or I've done enough. I don't need to grow anymore. Now, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't actually say that. But the way you live, ignoring the spiritual discipline says it. Ignoring the needs in the life of the church or your community or your family speaks loud and clear. We serve, we worship, we give, we share, we love, we die to self until he returns. You're walking with Christ, so you're pleasing God. And while that's true, he says to the Thessalonians, that's true. 
Continue to seek spiritual growth. Continue to seek maturity. Excel still more. Point number two. Excel still more in your purity. Verses three through eight. Now Paul gets specific. Paul gets specific. This demand for sanctification is applied to sexual behavior. Verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You might want to know God's will for your future. What kind of job am I going to have? What kind of, you know, college will I go to? What kind of spouse, you know, what will my retirement be like? But God is very clear about sexual behavior. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. Your sanctification, being set apart to serve God, includes abstaining from from sexual immorality. Your body is set apart for God. You dedicate it to His service. In the area of sex, sanctification causes you to take God's view and reject the world's view. Abstain to hold oneself from. In the middle voice, in the Greek. In the Greek, the middle voice, the subject is acting so as to participate in some way in the results of the action. You have a responsibility there. Fornication. The word in the Greek, pornea, is every type of sexual sin outside of marriage. Marriage needs to be between a man and a woman. A man and a woman according to their birth gender. And it is a sad state of affairs that we even have to say that. But it's where we are today. Now this could just be preventative. Such things were in the Thessalonian society. But not necessarily in the church as it was in the church at Corinth. In pagan religions, sensuality sensuality was promoted and had a bad influence on the culture. Adultery was common. But the church didn't adapt its standards to the the practice of contemporary society. Christianity insisted that abstinence is an essential element for developing personal holiness, for pleasing God, God pleasing conduct. A survey of 3,765 Christian teenagers, 16% had watched pornography. A New York Times report, three-fourths of all girls had been intimate, 15% had four more partners. Another study uh, about uh, with 18 years of age, All teenagers, 18 years of age, 27% had had sex, 55% had gone beyond kissing, just short of sex. And what you see, you know, with what you see on TV and what you see on the Internet, parents afraid to talk to their kids about sex, I mean, what would you expect? Dating early in life, in your teen years, and having a steady boyfriend or girlfriends, unchaperoned, doesn't help. 
in Stratford, where we come, big farming community, everybody gets married young. I mean, uh, the pastor who took my place, Tim, his daughter, 18 years old, just got married a couple weeks ago to a really good guy, uh, 21-year-old Christian guy, has a good job, owns his own house already. Um, you know, most of them date or they do what they call courtship with the marriage in mind. In Awana, which we were very much involved in, in Wisconsin, you know, you get shares and then you can, you have an Awana store and you can buy different things. And every once in a while, uh, Lisa would put something out that would say, you know, for 40 shares, you can have lunch with the pastor. And everyone, and every, and those went very quickly. I was, I was shocked that these young people would want to have lunch with me. But uh, this one time, I went to this elementary school and brought lunch, and they would, they would tell me what they want, you know, and it was always like McDonald's or something, nothing that expensive, but, and nothing good for you. But, um, and I sat down at this lunch table with this first grade girl, and we were eating, and in those situations, it's always interesting, the kid who knows me the best does the least talking. It's all her friends start telling me all these things about their life. And I was shocked. I was shocked at what they were telling me they were watching on TV. You know, for instance, Grey's Anatomy. You know, first graders. And there were worse things. There needs to be Christian parents who hold to a righteous standard. We have to train our kids to love God and to dwell on what is good, to put on the spiritual armor every day so they can be prepared to stand up to Satan's schemes, which include doing whatever it takes to be popular, to keep a boyfriend, or even the idea that you need a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Again, what you need is God. And and listen, when I was a young guy, I didn't know the Lord. I thought the greatest thing in the world would be to have a girlfriend. But now, in retrospect, you know, and because you have a relationship with God, you know what's important. And if you do have a relationship, make sure that it's somebody who's nurturing your relationship in Christ. You might need a husband or a wife someday. But does your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend draw you closer to God? If not, get rid of them. You don't have the freedom to do that with a spouse who doesn't believe. But, and as we've said before, only 5% of missionary dating ends up in a conversion. Usually it's the other way around. Somebody doesn't come to Christ, somebody backs away from Christ. 2 Corinthians 6, do not, do not be bound together with non-believers, what, is, what fellowship does light and darkness have? No fellowship. But you won't do that. You won't abstain from sexual immorality because I say so. But because you desire with all your heart to worship and honor God with every area of your life, including your body. Verse 4. That each of you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. And here's how you do it. Here's how you do that. 
You know, oida in the Greek, a complete knowledge. How to possess, to acquire his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, some have suggested that word for body means a wife. Others say it's your own body. Those who say it's wife point to 1 Peter 3, 7, where the wife is the weaker vessel. But ancient documents show that the meaning was not confined to the wife. 1 Peter 3, 7, both husband and wife are vessels and one is weaker. Hebert says that if vessel means wife, then Paul in this verse would be forbidding celibacy altogether. And we know in 1 Corinthians 7, he says that's the best way to serve Christ. It's best, I believe, to translate vessel as body. That each Christian needs to maintain their purity. That requires instruction and discipline. Hebert says that purity is not a momentary impulse, but a habit. 2 Corinthians 4.7 uses vessel this way. Even back in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 21.5. David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out, and the vessels of the young man were holy meaning body. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Having a wife or a husband doesn't guarantee purity. My friend Phil, we go to seminary, and he was, the last year of seminary, he was married, oh, the third year. And uh, he said, you know, I thought that once I was married, I wouldn't lust anymore. He says, it's even worse. It's worse now. So you have to discipline yourself. Where you walk by the Spirit and are not carrying out the desires of the flesh. You need the fruits of the Spirit, right? In in those situations, patience and self-control. We're to use our body as a sacred instrument devoted to the service of the Lord. To give it true honor. Verse 5. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Lustful meaning out of control. Passion overpowering urges that characterize those who don't know God. It characterizes those who have suppressed the truth, who are in the habit of sinning. But we've been delivered from this present evil age. We have the Holy Spirit to discern what's between what's good and what's bad. We know better because we have the mind of Christ. So we need to live better. We need to seek holiness. Don't flirt with those who don't care about God and don't care about your virginity or your purity. You can never get your virginity back, but you can pledge to be pure from this point on. Don't dress, and this is to women, don't dress like those who don't know God. Don't watch the Kardashians and think, oh, that's the way I should dress. Immodest. Be sure your body is not on public display and save it for who God has chosen to be your spouse. 
We're not asking you to, you know, wear a burqa like the Muslims. No, modesty is a part of being separate. And you might say to me, yeah, that's not cool. But it's biblical. And that's really all that matters. As parents, you have to monitor your kids. Now, I think we agreed on this, that Catherine sometimes, and our Catherine, when she was in rebellion, would leave dressed all nice and looking like a pastor's kid or whatever. And, uh, and then she'd change at school. And uh, she, you know, it, it, don't you regret, if you're, if you're like me, that after, you know, you got out of the house, somewhere along the line, you told your parents all the things you did. They don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that from my kids, but they tell me. Um, so we need to be their parents now so they'll respect us later. Saying no doesn't always help the relationship at the moment, but they will respect you later. Um, C.J. Mahaney, in his book, Worldliness, his wife would take his daughters out and, and do the shopping. And, and then he would, when they would come down the stairs before school, he'd look and go, go back up, get changed. That's, you're not wearing that to school. We have to be proactive as parents. Again, they're not going to like it, but they'll respect you later. Verse 6, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in this in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. Don't take advantage of others. Don't transgress. That means to go beyond, to cross the line of what's right and wrong. Immorality takes something away from your partner before marriage. It is like defrauding them. You've robbed them of their virginity or their holiness. It is a selfish act. You're robbing them of their clear conscience. And it should be robbing you of your clear conscience. You might be contributing to their disqualification from ministry as well as your own. If someone says to you, again, this is a, a guy saying to a girl usually, if someone says to you, if you won't sleep with me, you don't love me, what should you say in return? Bye-bye. <laughs> You're gone. Because at that moment, you know that he is not thinking about honoring God, and he does not love you. He only loves who? Himself. Run away from that person. Tell your dad. Let him put the fear of God in him. If he repents, good. Great. If not, and he's gone, that's also good. If you're not separated, you're not excelling, you're failing. Don't play with fire. Don't make an idol out of a relationship or out of sex. What you need is God. You must worship Him alone, but when you make anything more important than God, you begin to worship the creature or the activity more than the Creator. And it becomes an idol for you. Seven and eight. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. 
So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So the question is, are you a Christian? Then God, your creator and Lord, has called you to be holy and to have a different view of sex than the world. You have adopted God's view and while your body fights against it, the flesh battles the spirit. You have the power to overcome. But if you reject this, you're not rejecting me. You're not rejecting Paul. You're rejecting God. You can't love God and reject his ways. Christ said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Excel still more in your walk with Christ, in your purity, in your morals, with the use of your body. Excel still more, point number three, in your love. Verses 9 through 12. They were practicing love, but they needed to continue to grow in this area. Be zealous for good deeds, visit widows and orphans and comfort the sick. Very practically, I mean, we can, you know, if you know of somebody who's ill or somebody who needs something, you know, we can send them a card, call them, stop in and see them. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Die to self daily. And if you do, you will never defraud your brother or sister in Christ. You will never take what God has reserved for another. You will say, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to use it as God prescribes. I've been bought with a price, therefore I must glorify God in my body. Verses 9 and 10. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but I, but we urge you, brethren, excel still more. You're taught by God to agape, sacrificial love, divine love. You're taught to agape one another, and you're living that out. They're doing that, but they still have room to grow. Now, how do you do that? How do you actually do that? By the grace of God. By the grace of God. The Holy Spirit is the source of this love. You remember back in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts. So you have to walk by the Spirit. You have to humble yourself. The more you love God, the more you'll love others. 11 and 12. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Live a quiet life doesn't mean not speaking. They were restless. They, they believed Christ would return soon, and instead of being diligent, they were quitting their jobs and asking other people to feed them. 
Remember in Second Thessalonians, they're admonished because they did not correct this. Don't stir up trouble. Don't gossip. Just work hard. Live a quiet life. Excel still more. Let me ask you this question. Are you pleased with your walk with Christ? That really isn't the most important question. Is God pleased? Is God pleased? And he is only when you walk by faith and your behavior and your thinking conforms to his word. And remember, it it all begins in the mind and the heart. You live out what you focus on. You live out what you believe in. When we separate ourselves from the world's evil system, when we use our minds and our bodies to honor him, when we grow in love then, then he's pleased. Are you pleased with your walk with Christ? Be sure you're using the right standard. What did we learn today? In 2023, we still have a few months left. Excel still more. Excel excel still more. Make that your prayer. God, show me those areas of my life that need to be improved upon. In your walk with Christ, in your purity, in your love. How do we apply it? Well, it won't happen with just good intentions. It won't happen because maybe you nodded your head at something I said today. You must pursue the spiritual disciplines. The word, prayer, evangelism. Let me ask you this, another question. When's the last time you asked someone to consider a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You must be in fellowship. While church is great and you get, you know, you get taught and we worship God and we say hi to one another, it's not enough. That's not where iron sharpens iron. It's in interpersonal relationships. Excel still more as you repent and confess and mourn over your sin and obey God in every area of your life. And here's the key. This is the key. Fall in love with Jesus more each day. Fall in love with Jesus more each day. And then you, you won't be able to help but excel still more. Father, we thank you that you're in control. We thank you that Christ is the head of the church. We thank you for the cross and we thank you for all you've done for us. And I think this is a good message for me. I'll just start there. This is to, to excel still more. You know, I, I was through seminary. I, went, I was a minister for 35 years full time. And this is not a time to uh, put the Bible away. This is a time where, where I have more time. For those of us who may have a little more time, empty nests and maybe retirement or close to retirement, how can we serve you better? How can we love people in our lives better? Well, we need to start by loving you more. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.